0: bringing to life the souls of the past that until now have been lost to history. Talking Heart Island is a half-hour weekly podcast that explores the history of Heart Island, America's largest mass graveyard. Heart Island has been used as New York City's potter's field since 1869. It is estimated there are over one million people buried there. Because of recent advances in DNA and fingerprint technology, the identities of some of these previously forgotten and anonymous people have been revealed. The results are truly shocking. Talking Heart Island will interview a special guest each week, selected from an extraordinary assembly of scholars, authors, and scientists in the fields of history, law, medicine, and the arts. As we unravel, A secret kept hidden for 150 years. So welcome to Talking Heart Island. And now, here's our host, investigative history writer, Michael T. Keene.
1: Thank you very much, Norma Jean. And this is Michael Keene. And we are talking Heart Island. Today's episode is brought to us by Historic Palmyra in beautiful Palmyra, New York, along the Erie Canal. Five museums, one destination. And the Sodus Bay Lighthouse Museum and Historical Society, located in Sodus Bay, New York, along the shores of the beautiful Lake Ontario. And one more quick thing before we begin, we've been asked how can you listen to previous episodes of the Talking Heart Island podcast, and you may do so simply by logging on to our website, michaeltkeen.com. In 2017, the annual Six to Celebrate initiative from the Historic District Council highlighted six neighborhoods in New York City in need of preservation attention. Hart Island, the city's potter's field, which contains the mass graves of over one million people, was an unexpected addition to the list. Although it's a short ride away from the Bronx, it's a complete mystery to most New Yorkers, who don't know that the largest municipal cemetery in the country is located in our back door said Simeon Bankoff the facility is incredibly important to the history of healthcare and social responsibility in America and we look forward to promoting public awareness about and access to this fascinating historic site Bankoff stated and so our guest not too surprising perhaps is Simeon Bankoff He's a notable New York City preservation activist. He has served as executive director of the Historic District Council since November of 2000. Previous to becoming executive director, he worked for a number of other historic preservation organizations in New York City, including the Historic House Trust, where he worked to acquire 18th and 19th century farmhouses. A lifelong resident of Brooklyn, Bankoff holds a bachelor's degree from Sarah Lawrence College and an MS in historic preservation from Pratt Institute. And good morning, Mr. Simeon Bankoff. How are you? Good morning. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're we're, we're delighted to have you. Uh, you know, the first question that comes to mind is, how and when did you first become interested in historic preservation?
2: Um, As a fourth generation and lifelong New Yorker, I've been fascinated by the history of my city my whole life, uh, and uh, through a series of events that are not really worthy of getting into, I ended up working in historic preservation after college. Um, and and helping out with uh, events and administrative work. And then I really love the work. Uh, the, the history of New York, I think, is extraordinarily important to understanding the city as it is and our place in it. Um, as someone has seen things happen, as we all have, but sort of being in the same place and watching events and time pass by, I became fascinated with what came before and why, what the effects and the actual regulations and processes regulating change are in New York. So I, I found myself in, in preservation.
1: You know, as I uh, read about you uh, and the history, uh, I see that you're referred to as a activist. What What does that mean to you, that people refer to you as an activist? Well, I'm Frankly speaking, I'm not a scholar.
2: I'm not a historian. What I do is I advocate on behalf of community members, um, people who are interested in New York, people who live in in neighborhoods, people who are enthused about the physical character of New York. So I I advocate on, on their behalf to try to preserve the best of the physical character and the physical history of the city. Um, and in doing so you know and I, I do that to the regulatory agencies and the decision makers be they elected appointed or simply very wealthy people who own the buildings so that's that's an activist that's not um, i'm not an expert in uh, in the history of the city i know a bit about it um, i know a, a, a fair number of experts many phds and many people who are very notable authors and i Uh, They are generous enough with their time and their expertise to lend me that expertise. But what I actually do is I work in community support and development.
1: Well, you know, I I wonder then what would happen if there weren't people like you? Uh, In other words, something is happening that if someone didn't step in, go ahead. Houston, Texas would happen where they don't have zoning
2: and anything goes.
0: Not, and, to be, uh,
2: not to not to
1: throw shade at Houston, which I'm told is a lovely city. <laughs> Good thing you put that in there. Um, so if there wasn't uh, an activist working on their behalf, uh, many of these uh, historic landmarks and so on might actually not exist today, correct?
2: Oh, yes. I mean, the history of the historic preservation movement, which is over 100 years old in America, um, one could probably even say that Teddy Roosevelt, uh, kind of kicked it off with the Antiquities Act. Um, the history of the preservation movement is based on citizen participation. Without an understanding of our history, without an appreciation and a desire to somehow protect that history, acknowledge it, celebrate it, um, it would be lost because of the wonders of a capitalist consumer society is that... Uh, land is used for its best and highest use, which means that we get paved over constantly.
1: Right. Um, So to ask a dumb question, why is our history important? Why should we care?
2: Well, um, if one chooses to live in a non-sentient way with an eternal present, then history is not important. However, as human beings who have a cultural who have a cultural collective that we like to call a civilization, it's incredibly important to understand where we came from so you have a sense of where we're going. Without understanding the lessons and the mistakes of the past, then we have absolutely no incentive, not to mention any guidelines with which to move forward towards building a better future for all of us as a as a community.
1: Uh, you know, speaking about, as you just have, about the lessons maybe learned or not learned, it kind of brings us uh, to Hard Island, doesn't it? Um, how did Hard uh, Island uh, come onto to your radar screen, so to speak? And why do you think uh, it needs preservation? Well,
2: the thing about the Six to Celebrate program is it's New York City's only Kind of community-driven preservation priorities. We don't. We advertise it obviously to our 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 audience and our network, but the actual proposals come in from the community itself. They're not generated from my organization. So that uh, uh, Melinda Hunt, who runs the Heart Island Project, which is a fantastic group. proposed Heart Island as one of the six to celebrate. And the other thing is that part of the six to celebrate program is to try to focus whatever resources my organization, the Historic District Council has, for a limited period of time on specific guidelines uh, and sort of specific benchmarks. So Melinda had a very clear goal in what she wished to do, uh, which is Create greater public awareness and move the needle towards greater public access to Heart Island, something she has been doing for decades to quite some success. And we were happy to be able to help her with this. We thought that Heart Island was an honest treasure and uh, told an incredibly important story about New York and part of New York that people didn't hear about, that once every couple of years there would be a, whoa, there's a creepy island of the dead story in, in a newspaper, but then it would disappear again. And what right. we're trying to do and what Melinda is trying to do is we re-weave Heart Island into the fabric of New York City.
1: The uh, Melinda Hunt and the Hard Island project, uh, is it just to bring about greater awareness? I understand they also work with people who are attempting to locate loved ones that are buried on hard Island. Oh yeah, no, they do fantastic work. Um,
2: and that's only, uh, greater awareness is only part of it, really it's greater access. It was only through their legal battles that people who have loved ones or family members on hard Island are actually unable to have access to it. Um, so they also, It created a database, which is available on their website, that helps locate uh, people who they've identified on Heart Island so that someone who never knew what happened to their family member that was just sort of buried in a pot, you know, just disappeared into the system, can, through the efforts of the Heart Island project, can now perhaps locate their final resting place.
1: Right it's my understanding that uh, for perhaps a century or more the, the department of corrections uh controls hard island and there's been a debate in the past few years that it should be taken over by the parks department do, do you know how that is going um, whether that's becoming closer to reality it is be it is it
2: uh, again um
1: i'd like to think you know
2: in some small part due to our efforts but Really, it's been a major focus of what Melinda and the Hard Island Project have been doing. Yes, um, there was a hearing about this earlier uh, in late spring. The current city council member, speaker, Corey Johnson, um, is very interested in, in providing more public access to Hard Island. And really what it's about is creating a less – militarized system on the island. At the moment, um, Department of Corrections, because of their regulations and the way they function, going there, visiting the island itself is a very, and again, I'll use the phrase militarized um, kind of experience, which doesn't feel quite correct uh, when you're dealing with a mass cemetery.
1: Right, I understand it's uh, difficult to even for family members to get on the island. Yes, I believe that... it's open once a w- once a month. Right, and, and it takes a a form that has to be filled out and and co-signed by two people, and it has to be done several weeks in advance. And and then I know because I had someone I, who I wanted to go on the island, and they did everything they were supposed to do, and then they ought to, almost literally at the last minute they canceled that particular trip i think it was last year in august maybe they all decided to go on vacation but anyway it, it was difficult that's to do. really i mean you know it, look
2: um you don't you need controlled access you can't have it just open to everyone without any kind of policing that would be madness um however the concern that that i'm speaking about is when you actually get on the island itself Right. um regardless of the you know sort of welcoming nature of the individual guards you're surrounded by people with guns you right. are very carefully monitored you are only allowed to go in very specific places surrounded by people with guns it it, it feels like visiting a prison and right. I don't think that's not surprisingly, right? Department of Corrections. right? That's what they do. It's fine. I mean, they're very good at it. Um, But uh, that is, I think, one of the real issues. I mean, there's there are other issues concerning um, DOC, but and the Parks Department, while not perhaps the perfect stewards of the place, have a very different agency mission than the Department of Corrections. So, and I think that one, that the, the parks department mission more closely aligns with what in a perfect world, Hard Island
1: could become. Right. The, um, as we began the program with uh, your Six to Celebrate initiative, what, what other areas uh, besides Hard Island, are a part of this uh, initiative. Any that may, maybe local New Yorkers might recognize, or perhaps even those who are not who don't live in the New York metropolitan area. Well, the program has been going on since two
2: thousand eleven, so here we are in two thousand nineteen. So we've had forty eight different neighborhoods and preservation campaigns that we have done um, at the moment, and we have six every single year, but you know we don't we also don't ever give up on them and we continue working with them. So as you are now talking about Hard uh, Island, that was 2017, I continue working with the hard Island project. Um, at the moment, this year's six are Bedford Park in the Bronx. Um, Chinatown and Little Italy in Manhattan, Dorrance Brooks Square in Manhattan, which is a neighborhood that none of your readers none of your listeners are familiar with. Where Hell's Kitchen that? in Manhattan. We're, we're,
0: okay. and Dorrance
2: Brooks Square is actually in um, in West Harlem. Okay. It's right at the foot of uh, Jackie Robinson Park. Um, In Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan, Hunts Point in the Bronx, and Kingsbridge in the Bronx. We actually have a lot of Bronx representation this year, which is fantastic because we're seeing a real resurgence of civic activism and civic involvement in the Bronx, which is great because the forces of real estate pressure are starting to weigh
1: on that poor borough. People have to live somewhere, right?
2: Um, It's not a case of people having to live somewhere. It's
1: a case of
2: um, developers have to develop somewhere. And that uh, is where it gets tricky. People are already living there. Lots of people are living in the Bronx.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Hell's Kitchen and Chinatown are two areas that actually are central to this uh, Heart Island story. When, When you look at the waves of immigrants that came uh, to New York and where they settled, the Lower East Side, and and I know Hell's Kitchen isn't quite in that area, but uh, w- what is loosely defined as the Five Points area. Uh, what 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 are you doing in Hell's Kitchen in Chinatown at, at, in terms of historic preservation? Um,
2: well, actually, it's it. There's a there's a group that is looking to create a greater cultural awareness of both Little Italy and Chinatown as. Um, as immigrant neighborhoods and kind of cut through the natural tourist destination, I'm going there for the food. Instead, um, uh, we're working with a, a new group called the Little Italy Chinatown Historic Association that is seeking to create to, uh, an organized tour program that really focuses on the history of the places so that we can capture. They can better capture all of the tourist trade that comes through and teach them something about the people who live in those areas, who lived in those areas. And, and that rich and in many cases disappearing history, Little, Little Italy is, of course, uh, a very small section of what it once was. And it's uh, to some degree a remnant neighborhood, uh, no, you know, not meaning any offense to it, but it's not still it's not a primarily Italian neighborhood. Um right. But it's still what it was. It was very important from the point of view of the late 19th century and 20th century Italian immigration into New York, and those buildings and many of those institutions are still there, even if the population has scattered throughout New York State and America. Um, Chinatown similarly is growing and growing and growing, but it still remains kind of a terra incognita. For people who are just visiting New York, they kind of run into Chinatown, eat some dim sum or something like that, right. uh, and then run out again. And the fact is that it's got a really interesting, fascinating history that goes back over 100 years or 150 years, and that's a story that needs to be told, and that's what that organization feels. With regards to uh, Hell's Kitchen, that we're working with the community board, and in fact, uh, council members – Uh, City Council Speaker Corey Johnson's office to try to gain protections for the historic buildings that still remain in uh, in the historic Hell's Kitchen. Uh, Hell's Kitchen is, of course, immediately abutting the theater district. It's kind of in the greater expanded Midtown area. And the community board and the people who live in Hell's Kitchen are very aware of the real estate pressures. That always exist and have continued and are only being exacerbated by the deep desire to develop all of Manhattan. So what they're hoping to do is that they are hoping to gain some level of regulatory protection to keep the buildings, the residential, the tenement buildings, the institutional buildings that are very important to them.
1: Uh, Simeon, how is the historic district council structured? Are, are you a city agency? Are you a private? No. Organ- we are, are a private
2: start- not-for-profit. We are unaffiliated with the city. We are the only citywide advocate for New York's historic, uh, historic neighborhoods. We work primarily, our primary constituency is 500 neighborhood-based groups in all five boroughs. Um, almost 99% of them are... Let me just do the math in my head. Yeah, that's about right. Ninety nine percent of them are all volunteers so that we are fortunate enough and old enough to actually have a trained and expert staff to help provide the support that people who just love their neighborhood but don't know what to do can reach out to. Right. How are you funded? Everyone always asks that. I think it's a it's it's, it's a kind of impertinent question, um, but the fact of the matter is we're mostly we're privately funded. We are about 15 or maybe in some years, depending, up to 20% public funding, but usually it's closer to 15%, uh, and the rest all comes from private funding, almost entirely individuals. Um right. Not foundations. There is not a lot of foundation support for activism out there. So, uh, if any of your listeners are interested, they should check us out on the web at www.hdc.org. Um, learn more about us and contribute. We welcome all donations.
1: Well, that's one of the reasons I brought up the question because <laughs> I, I appreciate that, that. Was something, something that uh, uh, would be of uh, be, would be very important. Well. Uh, Simeon, I I just want you to know we really enjoyed having you on board uh, for this episode of Talking Heart Island and uh, good luck to you and, and your future endeavors. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me.
0: Hi, this is Norma Jean. I wanted to take a moment to remind you, in order to receive updates or news about upcoming episodes of Talking Heart Island, Simply go to the subscribe page on our website, located at www.michaeltkeen.com, and enter your email address. If you have any questions about the podcast itself or simply wish to contact any team members for book inquiries, voiceovers, website or graphics design, use our contact page, also found at www.michaeltkeen.com. And if you're enjoying the show and would like to give us a review, please do so at iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. So until next week, this is Norma Jean, and we're Talking Heart Island.